This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. One of the hot topics out there involves electric vehicles and related sports. That'll be our topic for today's Side Alpha Podcast, and we've got the right person to lay it all out for us. Dalen Zartman is a 20-year career veteran of the fire service. He is president and founder of Rescue Methods LLC and the COO of the Energy Security Agency. Zartman is assigned to a heavy rescue and is an active leader as a member of both local and national tech rescue response teams. He has delivered fire and technical rescue training courses and services around the globe for the last 15 years. Zartman is also an international leader in the fire-based research, testing, training, and consulting related to energy storage. He serves as a regional training program director and advisory board member of the Bowling Green State University State Fire School, and he also happens to be a Fire Rescue One columnist, covering all things tech rescue. Dalen, welcome to the Side Alpha podcast. Thank you for having me, Mark. I love being a being a part of the Fire Rescue One community, and uh, I'm always a fan of of the efforts that you guys put towards educating us and, and keeping us all in in uh, cohesion and moving in the right directions as an industry. Well, we appreciate you being a part of that and helping us uh, keep that forward motion. You know, recently you wrote a comprehensive article for Fire Rescue One on this specific topic. And uh, I encourage our listeners, obviously, to uh, read and and share that article with their network. We'll put a link to the article uh, up in the show notes uh, here with uh, with this post. The article outlines the critical challenges associated with electric vehicles and storage systems and what firefighters can do to manage this growing issue. We're going to talk about the meat and potatoes of suppression in a a bit. uh, But before that, can you share a bit about your background uh, studying these systems, kind of help our, our listeners understand who you are with that? Absolutely. So we more or less uh, stumbled into this industry about a decade ago, and it happened through a, a joint venture project with NYSERDA and FDNY and, and State of New York. And there was a, a massive funding program to create opportunities for uh, you know, end users of energy to get off the grid and, and start utilizing alternative energy storage systems. Um, so residential and commercial platforms were being installed uh, across the state of New York until they hit New York City. And then when they arrived in New York City, FDNY very wisely and, and pragmatically kind of stopped things to address what happens when structures are on fire and these battery storage systems are exposed to fire. Uh, what happens when these systems fail internally? Uh, how do we manage them? How do we address them? And how do we design building codes and fire codes and fire response plans to be prepared for these systems? Uh, shockingly, to that point, there had been very, very little what we would call large-scale destructive testing. So most of the testing that had taken place to that point globally involved, uh, you know, modeling. So you, you would take, um, without getting into to system design yet, you would take a small sample of a battery or energy storage system. You would uh, critically fail that, you know, that portion of a system. And then you'd take those results and you would design uh, mathematical modeling 
based on, you know, X, X factor of, of 10, 20, 100, 300, whatever the magnitude of the system was. And then you'd have these th very, very theoretical results. So we did a really, really comprehensive um, test analysis for, for FDNY and NYSERDA under the auspice of DNVGL. And the results led to uh, building and fire code programming for FDNY, response planning for FDNY. And then uh, it just spun off into where we are at today. You, you fast forward, you know, a decade now, and we are the world's largest, um, I would call us comprehensive large-scale destructive testing lab. So, you know, we're not focused on one manufacturer or one type of battery. We've, we've tested batteries uh, ranging from, uh, you know, transatlantic uh, tankers, um, massive, massive systems with, with all kinds of different suppression analysis to EPA studies and EPRI studies, all the way down to residential systems, commercial systems, and vehicular systems. We shoot them with ballistics, we crush them, we penetrate them, we uh, abuse them electrically uh, by overcharging or thermally abusing them with, with heat packs and overheating. And then we also have a wide array of external uh, fire propagation studies that we can do where we can generate uh, you know, floor pans of, of heptane-based fire or propane-based blow torches, all of the above. So it is a it's a firefighter's Disneyland of. <laughs> I was, I was uh, just going to say, I was just going to say, this is every firefighter's dream to be able to destroy stuff, shoot stuff, and do whatever you want with it to come up with a result. So, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like some good stuff. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, you know, to that point, um, you know, firefighters are pretty used to straightforward stuff. Put the the wet stuff on the red stuff, right? And you know, I think. For years, they have we have respected power stations. Uh, if we go to uh, traditional uh, power facilities, but batteries is a different and a significant issue, and uh, it doesn't seem that we're paying the same attention. Why is this such a significant issue and one that firefighters need to pay more attention to? Well, that's a great question, Mark. Um, you know, I think the starting point is to understand the uniqueness of uh, lithium-ion science as, a, as an energy storage component. So the first thing is you can't put it, you can't hem it into a box as far as, you know, this is a, a class A, B, C, D type combustible. And these types of, um, you know, techniques and, and responses and, and applications work. It is very, very broad. So when you when you take a lithium ion battery and then you put it into a storage system or storage unit, you end up with everything from electrical hazards to chemical hazards to, uh, you know, LEL and LFL off gassing uh, VOCs or, or very toxic atmospheric conditions. And one particular approach isn't going to address it. You, you have to have a really, really comprehensive understanding of of the fuel load to be able to apply the right techniques. And then you've got to add the element of having a, a pretty significant understanding of the electrical side of the systems as well. So I think that, you know, on, on its on its top, it, it's much more complex than, than we want to make it when, when you just start analyzing it. 
And we are always looking for a simple solution. You know, an efficient solution is the fire service, something that does not require complexity. And, and that's always our effort. How do we take the, you know, the, the various natures and behavior patterns of the lithium ion energy storage systems and break them down into easy to apply approaches so that uh, firefighters can accurately perceive what they're dealing with and accurately apply, you know, readily available uh, techniques and tools to handle the situation. Yeah. So we, you know, we've seen articles uh, for years now on electric vehicles uh, and in your article, and this seems to be something that as you read comments, you, you see a lot of debate from people about this. So I wanna, I'm gonna talk about this for a second. In your article, you said, uh, if it's on fire, unless there's life safety concerns, and in capital letters, let it burn. So very counterintuitive for, <laughs> right, for a lot of firefighters to grasp. Uh, so other than the simplicity of fire and water, are there, are there and, and what you just described, I think, was a great, really, it almost answers this part of my question, but the multi-class facet of the scenario we're talking about. Are there other aspects that contribute to the confusion about the tactic, uh, you know, the tactical aspect of handling these fires? You know, what, how can we help firefighters grasp this? Yes, absolutely. And, and let me preface this by saying this, um, you know, we, we, I have always taken the same approach, even in our, in our technical rescue training and, you know, how we, how we deliver the messaging that we have on all fronts. And it is, it's, it's got to be very, very practically based for me. So early on in the, in the HEV industry and, and a lot of the guidelines that were provided, a lot of those guidelines were based on, uh, you know, those modeling assessments. Okay. We see these things present in, in off-gassing. We see these kind of, you know, predictive fire results and these kinds of things we think are going to work. And then we kind of erred on the side of, um, I think just some, some very broad sweeping strokes of, we think these things can, can, can be effective as these things are becoming more prevalent in the U S and Europe is ahead of us. So you, they're much more prevalent in Europe. Um, we're, we're watching the trends of the different responses, the different, uh, products, mechanisms, applications, and, you know, it's just like any new learning curve. You're consistently seeing things that you thought would work, but you know there, there's drawbacks. There's pros and cons to everything. So when we look at this, uh, this multifaceted you know approach, what what is it at our, at our disposal besides just letting it burn or applying water? We don't advocate uh, or denounce any types of, of agents or applications. What we do is we very very intentionally try to educate the pros and cons of all those other interventions. Sure. Uh, letting it burn is is what we would call comfortable burning. So you have to protect exposures. You have to protect, you know, adjacent properties and, and additional fuel loads and, and try to minimize the, the damage of the fire event that's connected to that vehicle. But when it is burning, it is actively combusting all of the off-gassing that is potentially much, much more dangerous when it's not in a combustible state. Um, the, the unique thing about the lithium ion batteries is once they start to go into thermal runaway and propagate, those are basically internal, both chemical and thermal events that are occurring. And the batteries themselves are basically pressurizing, then perforating, then releasing high pressurized gas streams that if you have enough heat and you have enough, uh, air and oxygen, they're going to burn. And, and when they burn, 
um, you know, a lot of the things that would otherwise be very, very toxic to us from an inhalation perspective or very explosive if allowed to to build up pressure and and build a fuel rich environment. They're much less lethal because, you know, now it's almost like a controlled burn. Uh, when we apply water, water is the one application and we have tested every every agent that, that we are ever available of globally and, and we continue to look at you know for uh, you know up and coming technologies and applications and, and different chemistries for for different agent applications what we consistently find is there are times in that burning process when some of those agents can be effective they all perform very very well in labs when those agents can directly attack the battery cell itself but as soon as you jump up into the into the world of large-scale destructive testing, now you're taking that that individual battery that in order to truly suppress it and you know contain it, you have to apply cooling. If you just create a disruption to the test tetrahedron and remove oxygen from the environment, uh, which is what most of the agents are going to do in, in one way or another, um, they're, they're not going to cool adequately enough to stop the thermal runaway. So what you end up with, you know, if you're if you're well into the event and you start applying a variety of agents is, you know, these things will they'll, they'll disrupt the oxygen inter interaction with the batteries they'll they'll coat the you know the the containment areas of the batteries but they don't really get to the batteries so the batteries continue to heat up they continue to off gas and then when they've more or less burned off whatever the disruptor is and they get a breath of air now they have created a really really fuel rich environment that is just waiting for that right uh, that right mix it, it has a, a adequate temperature you know for ignition it has more than enough fuel load and as soon as it leans out a little bit you've now gone from a manageable or comfortably burning fire to a very very explosive event not to mention that initial you know potential inhalation and exposure hazard where now instead of you know hf being being radically burned up right at the point of off gassing now you've got a, a decent concentration of hf or, or another very lethal type of atmospheric gas yeah so the the cascading failures i'll call it uh, is what um i think most firefighters aren't used to with respect to that uh, wet stuff red stuff mindset uh, you know right yeah, it's, so this is a, a different different environment altogether. It is, and, and it's you know it is. It's like asking a runner not to run. And uh, I try to help firemen really put this in perspective in a way that communicates that to them by saying, you know, when you when you set up a stream and you start flowing copious water at you know the the exterior of a vehicle. You have to understand that the batteries are embedded in very, very uh, protective boxes that are also embedded in floor pans or other contained areas of the vehicles. And everybody understands getting to the seat of the fire. So, so you know, to, to some degree when you're doing that, it's no different than having a, a basement fire in a, you know, a five-story commercial structure. And you put up the aerial apparatus and you start flowing water at the rooftop. Um, you're going to flow a lot of water, but you're going to make very, very little impact on the seat of the fire and at the end of the day the seat of the fire is going to continue to burn until it's consumed all its fuel so even if you do disrupt things or slow down fire you're kind of just delaying the inevitable and and causing the event to you know to enhance even more and that's 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 really broad mark i mean there are times where where, where we're big fans of of an aggressive attack 
but it's got it's got to be about focused streams where you know the intentionality of your water application is built around exactly what you alluded to multiple times we're trying to identify where is the high voltage system and how do we apply as much cooling effort uh, to that area of the vehicle as possible. It doesn't do us any good to throw water at the at the roof and the hood and the you know the trunk and the doors and the we've got to get access to to where the HV system's located. Yeah. So let's break it down. Maybe maybe uh, if we understand how the systems work, it'll be easier to conceptualize how to attack them. So how about uh, you know most specifically what most firefighters are going to run into the vehicle mounted electric uh, vehicle batteries. Uh, what do, what do firefighters need to know? So the first challenge that that we see um, just categorically for firefighters is number one, just identification. Um, you know, it's not like every one of these vehicles have a giant neon sign on top of them that say, I, I'm an electric vehicle. Um, the Tessas are, are very identifiable because of the grill fronts and the unique body styles and the, the logos are very unique. I mean, it's pretty easy to key in on those. But the, the mainstream manufacturers, the, especially our domestic manufacturers that are now all starting to convert to electric vehicle manufacturing, you're looking for, you know, a green leaf or a, you know, logo symbol that, that indicates it's a hybrid or an electric um, until you get really close and personal with the vehicle and you can identify the, the display screen and, and some other facets of it, you may not know. So um, there's other resources that we're going to talk about later in the show where the, the, the first uh, most important tool that the fire can, firefighters can have is, is identification, not just of the fact that it is a hybrid electric vehicle, but where are the systems and what are the manufacturer's guidelines for management of those systems? So I can't, you know, we're, we're really focused on battery failure behavior, but we're all, you know, we haven't even touched on the, the electrical hazard component yet. And the, the safety mechanisms within these vehicles have improved so significantly over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years that the likelihood of shock um, is, is radically reduced. I mean, you almost have to be intentional uh, to to put yourself in a position as a firefighter where you're going to get shocked or or experience an you know an electrocution or electrical type of event, uh, but it can happen. And and in order to negate that, you've got to know whether you're pulling a relay or a fuse or a cut loop. Um, you've got to understand ISO symbols, which are the new international systems. Uh, for for color coding keys in what we call emergency response guides. And there's some really important keys in those, you know, just in, in regards to the colors. Um, your, your darker orange, darker yellow is your high voltage components. Your lighter yellow colors are your low voltage components. So you may see a, you know, a key indication on a diagram of a vehicle that shows you a, a, a light yellow box with a, you know, a fuse symbol, and then it's got a orange border around it. Uh, firefighters need to understand that that is telling you that that is a low voltage interaction that is going to affect the high voltage system. So all those little, you know, all these little keys and nuances, uh, there is a massive need for for wide sweeping education uh, to make sure the firefighters have access to, to everything that they need to, to understand to be able to deal with these real time and efficiently. Um, and they need resources that can help them through that process uh, real time as well. You know, it's, it's not like we can all sit down and uh, make the choice to do a dissertation on hybrid electric vehicles for six months. And uh, these ERGs are changing every every month, every, every uh, you know, six months, every quarter. There's new models coming out, um, new guidelines coming out, and new recommendations about how to interface with these. Sure. And, and to your point, um, 
I don't think we do it justice by saying, okay, let's have a let's have a, a two-hour uh, computer-based training program either. Um, we need to make sure that we're searching out the right resources, and that's one of the reasons we've got you on here today to uh, be able to guide people in the direction they need to go with this. 100%, Mark. You know, and the other big thing, a lot of times we get on these paths in the fire service where we negate you know, what I consider a firefighter's greatest strength, which is, uh, you know, intuitive critical thinking and, and problem solving. And we try to create, uh, you know, flow charts and algorithms and and uh, decision trees that, that say every time you have A, you're going to do B and then you're going to do C and then you're going to do D. And you, as we've as we're dialoguing about this, we're identifying the, these things are really unique and you can have a lot of different uh, presentations when you pull up on scene. Uh, having some support and some guidance to be able to walk you through critical thinking processes because sometimes A isn't always going to render B. Sometimes you need to deviate from A uh, to be able to achieve what you're trying to achieve on, on scene. You know, a perfect example of that is um, in some of the vehicles, as soon as the airbags deploy, they negate the 12 volt system. Uh, and once the 12 volt system is, is negated, you may isolate the high voltage uh, flow path or energy from the high voltage cable to the high voltage unit, but it's not traveling anywhere else. Those are great things. Um, but we're firemen, we're instinctively always going to say, well, we want to de-energize the vehicle. We want to de-energize the vehicle. Um, when we get ready to, to facilitate the tow companies putting these vehicles on the back of the tow trucks, um, there are really stringent requirements about rotation of the wheels so if there's capacitors connected to the wheels that are going to generate energy and then the you know the tow guy throws out 70 feet of steel cable and starts rolling the vehicle up at a, a you know a moderate rate of speed to get it back on the back of the tow truck you may be generating what we would call electrical abuse so now you're you're sending a back current back into the system that's going to make the high voltage system upset you're going to start to have short circuiting short circuiting is going to uh, lead to potential runaway and now the tow truck four miles down the road and the the car bursts into flames on the back of the tow truck so that you know that would be a case in point where you'd say okay we're going to re-engage the 12 volt system or we're going to leave the 12 volt system intact so that we can activate the tow mode features of the vehicle put it into tow mode like all these little details and they're unique to each vehicle uh, it would be awesome if we had like a Right. All, all electric vehicles use this safety system, but every single manufacturer's got different different approaches, different guidelines and different mm. systems and recommendations. Yeah, it sounds like CAD systems. Everybody's got their own and neither shall any of them meet. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and what we're not talking about CADs today. So your article focused on the fire side of things with these. And I, I know you're going to have. Um, a companion article coming down the road on the energy side um, of this. Some it probably be a little time yet. Can we shift for a second though to the energy side of it and uh, talk about what's important for fighter fighters to consider in handling fixed energy storage system uh, facilities? Just in general, I know uh, you know you'll go into it in more detail once you do the article. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, much, much, much more complex problem. I mean, when we've got a vehicle, we've got, a, uh, you know, resources that we can gain access to uh, real time and quick time to understand everything we need to know about that system in a snapshot and make some quick decisions. But if you're pulling up on a power plant and uh, you, you've got, you know, 20 Connex containers that are all lithium ion storage systems outside of the substation and four of them are on fire, 
that that is a really really large scale event that requires a lot of support uh, a lot of special guidance from both the manufacturers the installers uh, the operators of the site um, as well as our, our a sister company that we work with and work under for all the battery testing which is esrg um, nick warner is the lead engineer for that group and they develop emergency response plans for these sites they can come alongside fire departments help them map out and plan out their water strategies um, all their emergency lines as well as understand the alarm systems the suppression systems, so on and so forth when firefighters are first getting on scene if they have not been privy to uh, you know knowing that this that these fixed systems are in place let's let's take for example uh, a residential unit so let's say you've got a you know just a, a private property owner and in their garage they've they their building code in their state allows them to uh, you know place a power wall type of energy storage system inside the interior of the garage so you you get a, you know, dispatched on a on a garage fire firefighters show up on scene first thing to do is to understand what the characteristics are of these they're going to be unique in my opinion compared to normal combustibles and fuel loads uh, one of the big indicators of um, imminent thermal runaway or you're starting to heat up and off gas at at you know lower levels not uh, suitable yet to necessarily support combustion so this is kind of like uh, you know that 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 growth phase um, is what we describe as cherry bubblegum. And, and Tesla came up with coining that term to describe the aroma. What you are smelling in that circumstance is the electrolyte within the lithium ion chemistry. And those electrolytes are all um, unique and proprietary to different battery manufacturers, but they all follow some basic guidelines. You, you've got a, an electrolyte uh, gel basically that has a variety of solvents in it. Uh, within that battery, you've got a, basically a positive side and a negative side, what we would call the anode and the cathode, and then in between them, you have what's called a separator. And when you have a, any type of abuse that occurs to the system, uh, thermal, electrical, or, or physical, basically, what happens is that that separator uh, stops doing its job, and the positive side contacts the negative side, which creates some type of internal short circuit, which then basically starts to heat up that electrolyte. And as it's heating up that electrolyte, that electrolyte is building internal pressure, is starting to boil, and then it eventually ruptures that cell and starts off-gassing. So if firefighters ever get on scene and they're approaching the structure, they may not even see smoke yet, uh, but they're going to smell a very, very sweet smell. It, it, there's nothing else I've ever smelled that smells like it, but I smell it on every single battery that we burn. So that's the first thing I want to encourage you guys to, to be conscientious about. Second thing is uh, use your basic four gas metering. Uh, most fire departments in the U.S. now are equipped with, with four gas sampling capabilities. If you have that, your focal point is your LEL and your CO. Um, you may get some hits of H2S as well, and understand that a lot of what you're seeing is um, is basically cross sensitivity. It's not uh, that it's you know a pure representation of hydrogen sulfide or a pure representation of CO, but you're picking up hydrocarbons that are going to be present in that that gas spectrum uh, that, that's specific to lithium ions. And the place that we always see it early and throughout the burns is on CO. So if you're getting a good CO indication.
you have a sweet smell, the next thing you want to do is use your thermal imaging camera. Um, if you see any type of box or structure mounted on a back wall uh, or even all the way up to the substations, you're going to look for hot spots and you're going to try and identify uh, vapor or gas production. You can really readily see the gas production on these fixed systems uh, even well before they actually ignite and catch on fire. In those early, yeah, in those early stages when they're off gassing, that's when you need to be the most conscientious because eventually that gas is going to ignite um, and it's usually a very, very pressurized, uh, significant, violent, angry blowtorch that comes out of these fixed systems um, and your focal point is going to be protecting exposures until you can apply, uh, you know, a controlled stream towards the interior of the of the shroud or the housing to be able to get water directly onto the battery cells. Do not, under any circumstances, go into firefighter, uh, you know, salvage and exposure mode where you see a cover on something and you think, well, I'm going to take my Halligan and I'm going to, you know, rip this shroud off so that we can get into the seat of the fire. Uh, firefighters have to re remember at all times that to treat all of these components as energized and, uh, you know, for for basic systems, you're, you're talking thousands of volts of, of direct current. So guys need to be very, very leery. Even when they're, I'll tell you, Mark, it's, it's interesting, but even when they're uh, degraded, um, we've done battery tests where, uh, you know, the batteries themselves were in more of a, a polymer or a plastic style case. And you'll have a pile of plastic goo uh, that just looks like a, you know, a burned up nothing, something that you would never think twice as a firefighter, uh, you know, about going up and, and displacing it or moving it or or prying it away with your halogen. And I've seen two and three foot arcs come out of piles of plastic uh, and make their way to, to hand tools. So guys have to be very, very careful about remembering, uh, even in a fully burned up system, you can still have very, very intact cells both in vehicles and in, in commercial and residential structure systems that, that still have a, a high state of charge and a, a lot of stranded energy on them. The last thing I want to encourage firefighters to, to understand they've got to read differently is the smoke. So we are very used to, you know, our VVDC, our volume, velocity, density, color progression as we look at smoke to determine uh, that carbon imprint, you know, when, when it starts getting dark and black and really, really fueled up and, and then we start to develop pressure behind it, those are our, our points of concern. That's when we're always like, oh, I, I think a, you know, a flame over a flash over a smoke explosion is imminent. It is almost the exact opposite with lithium ion battery systems. So the smoke production that comes out of these is very, very hydrogen rich. So you have a very, very flammable gas concentration. You have a ton of CO in it but it's typically very white or very light gray in color so you, you'll get very very dense uh, clouds and what you're seeing is is more a gas cloud than it is you know what we would discern as a, a traditional smoke pattern so i probably got long winded there but i no, think no. those are the those are the key things that i'd really want to encourage guys to be on the lookout for good stuff um in your article you mentioned uh, well, actually, in your article, we, in, in the introduction, we talked about you being the COO of the Energy Security Agency, and then you mentioned uh, both in the article and here the uh, Energy Safety uh, Response Group, the ESRG. Can you talk to us about, just for a couple minutes, about the Energy Security Agency uh, specifically as a 24-7 asset that you mentioned in the article uh, for responders? And I want to um, give this phone number. It's 855 855- 
ESA SAFE, it's 855-372-7233 as a 24-7 resource uh, for, for firefighters who may come across something uh, in this electric vehicle battery uh, environment that they need help with. So for our listeners' edification, can you kind of explain the ESA and uh, how how they can help? Absolutely, Mark. Um, our initial focal point with ESA was to support tow and recovery operators. Um, they, they are the least, uh, they have the less tools at their disposal to be able to interact with these vehicles, and they're the ones that are getting them after they've been on fire, after they've collided, and so on and so forth. But as we develop this, um, and having lots of interactions with the Department of Energy and NTSB and SAE and NFPA and trying to figure out, well, how do we, you know, how do we bridge the gap with education and equipping for the fire service as well? We've all kind of picked running lanes to help support one another to make sure we're attacking this. So, so our role in that mechanism for first responders is to try and provide uh, immediately accessible um, real-time guidance. So behind the scenes, we've got, a, you know, a dispatch center or a call center that's staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year by all career rescue specialists that are all um, safety and battery uh, people that work with me out at the battery site. So these guys have all and gals have all seen uh, tons of battery fires and suppressed tons of battery fires and extinguished tons of battery fires. And we spend a lot of training time with the manufacturers. So we do a lot of internal uh, in-services with the engineers from the different uh, vehicle manufacturers to make sure that we are you know, really dialed in on their systems and their expectations and, and their needs and recommendations for safe handling. Uh, firefighters can call us anytime they have an event from something completely minor, just to ask us how, you know, how do I de-energize this thing? Or, you know, I got a tow guy that wants to know how to, you know, turn, put it into tow mode. We're there for that call all the way up to a, you know, a five car pile up on the interstate that has two Teslas involved or a, you know, a new uh, commercial electric charter bus. So we have uh, a, additional, all of our, all of the reference guide materials, the engineering charts, um, all of the diagrams about locations and protocols from the manufacturers. We also have those all installed in our response database. So anytime anyone calls in, uh, that active firefighter on the other side of the line that's functioning as a, you know, a risk agent is going to be looking at all that stuff and, and giving firefighters real-time guidance. I, I like to call us the poison control of hybrid cars. Yeah, so, I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah, and, you know, we're not creating, we're not going out on a limb and creating our own standards. Um, what we have done is compiled all the federal consensus standards, which there's two great new standards out there from NTSB and SAE, and they both apply to uh, first responders and tow and recovery professionals. And in both of those standards, uh, we came about because both those standards actually advocate that it is essential and necessary for anyone interacting with a hybrid electric vehicle that's incurred, you know, any one of those three types of abuse we talked about, uh, they, that they undergo a risk assessment with a specialist. So we're trying to provide both of those mechanisms, a, a risk assessment with a specialist. The other key piece is, you know, when we go to structure fires, uh, as firefighters, we never leave an incident, you know, situation contained and and off we go. We never pass off uh, a structure back to the residents if it's not in a safe state. And one of the massive problems that we've been having in the U.S. is vehicles that have had a collision or heavy doses of suppression or been submerged or had, you know, a moderate to minor fire event 
And then we call these tow guys and we're pressing them, pressing them, pressing them as, as fire and law enforcement to get it off the roadway. And these guys load up these vehicles. They take them, take them back to their storage yard and they either burst into flames on the back of the tow truck or they catch on fire back at the tow yard and burn up the tow yards. So we want to make sure that on the first responder side that we are being responsible um, you know, representatives and, and ambassadors of our trade to make sure that when we pass these vehicles off um, to to the to the to the second tier of responders, that we're, we're you know helping ensure that these are in a safe state. So that's the goal of the ESA is to kind of fill all those gaps and, and help support everybody's interaction with those vehicles. Yeah, and, and for the fire chief that <clears throat> has been through this, they'll get it. You never want to get a call from the Red Cross who's sitting on the scene with a resident going, hey, the place is on fire again. So yes. It, uh, <laughs> it, it is exactly that scenario uh, with respect to what he's talking about. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. <clears throat> so it's uh, a lot that we can learn. So once again, that's the um, uh, Energy Security Agency available 24-7, 365. The phone number is 855-372-7233. It's 855-ESA-SAFE, and we'll have that up in our show notes so that, uh, and it's in the article that uh, uh, that Dalen had written previously. So we'll have that up there, though, so they can avail themselves of that. Okay, so the uh, last couple things here, there was a question in the article that came from a reader, and I want to quote the question and then uh, maybe you can answer it because I'm sure others and you started answered a little bit in our discussion here today, but maybe there's others that have the same issue. So here's the question. It says, uh, I have been engaged in a conversation with folks living in an older adult 55 plus community uh, who are concerned about residents building electric vehicle charging stations inside their garages at grade, below grade or their high rise residential buildings. I'm interested in learning if there are pending changes to building codes with regards to these uh, to this changing landscape and looking forward to learning more. So can you help us understand there uh, are there, uh, you know, either pending or impending code changes that firefighters need to be watching? Yes, that's a great question, Mark. Out of P855 and several other codes as well that address storage systems, it was all the above. These standards, in my I would say, are probably some of the fastest evolving standards currently because we started with a baseline that was, you know, not prepared for this industry, the complexity of this industry, or uh, that, you know, basically in the blink of an eye, this industry was going to go from, uh, you know, I don't want to call it a novelty, but it's not like we were seeing uh, all of our domestic automotive manufacturers saying, oh, we're converting our product lines and, you know, we're going to be 60% electric by 2030. I mean, that stuff wasn't being discussed three years ago. So we've had this radical increase in production. We've had a radical increase in, in demand and supply. And now all these issues are coming to the surface that were things that, you know, quite frankly, I think we just weren't prepared for and didn't really think about uh, until they start to rear their heads. The building code uh, and fire code support for a lot of these things it is not it's chasing right now. Right. It's chasing these issues as they as they become apparent. So it, there is a huge burden on, you know, the local municipal fire prevention bureaus and, and code officials to look at these potential problems and try to understand what the hazards are 
and isolate the potential for widespread event. So, you know, we, we've got a lot of those scenarios here. You, you can take a parking garage, for example. You put 20 charging stations in a parking garage and, uh, you know, put that tier on, a, on the first floor. You've got to have a plan in place, um, not just about those charging stations and, you know, quick acting e-stop features and making sure that everybody's prepared all the way up to, are those vehicles somewhat isolated from other vehicles? Um, you start jumping into, you know, combustible structures like a, the retirement community that, 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 the, that the question alluded to, and, you know, it's a shared structure. So you might have eight garage bays in a, you know, a common building, and these are all freestanding garages in close proximity to, you know, retirement condos or twin singles, duplexes, things along those lines. Um, you start putting charging walls or charging systems into an interior of one of those. And, you know, in reality, that's a, that's a common structure. Um, those are things I, I, I would encourage guys to be very leery of, uh, you, you, especially when you start thinking about the, the more residential side as opposed to the, you know, municipal charging stations or, or more commercialized charging stations. You start putting these systems in the hands of an individual, and that's where you start seeing all the weird, oh, I don't know, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, weekend warrior, right? I, oh, I I understand electricity. I'm going to make my own charging cord and I, and right. I'm going to do this. And, I'm going to, and that's when, when things are really, really going to go south because there's all you've got to do is send just, you know, the slightly wrong amperage voltage configuration to a high voltage lithium ion battery and immediately going to start developing that electrical abuse concept we talked about. We're going to have internal short circuits and you're going to immediately start going to it down that thermal runaway path. So uh, yeah, big, big challenges on that side of things. Okay. Uh, we're getting, uh, getting short on time here, but if there were, were um, or was, if there was one thing, a single takeaway about managing electric vehicles or ESS systems, uh, for our firefighters, what would you leave them with? What would that one thing be? Mm. You know, I think it is hard for us not to want to be independent minded. It's uh, sometimes it's tough for firefighters to reach out for help. And, I, you know, I love the concept of the poison control because we're all very comfortable doing that, uh, you know, as paramedics and first responders and firefighters. I would really encourage uh, all my brothers and sisters in the fire service to understand, uh, you know, the mechanism and the purity behind energy security agency. It is it is the same concept. And none of us are going to have, you know, the, the volume of exposure and, and time on nozzle and time with tools and time with batteries to be able to say, man, I have totally got this thing in the bag. You know, I know I know everything from A to Z about every manufacturer, every car and every battery. And uh, I would just encourage uh, everyone in the fire service, be, be quick and be very, very comfortable about reaching out for help, getting the guidance and support you need, studying on your own, you know, even uh, aside from things, research ERGs and reach out to your local manufacturers. And um, we, you know, we're really, really big believers in training as well. So reach out to us, contact us. Um, we'll come out and do in-services and we can do Zoom Zoom talks and, you know, whatever structure is needed in today's era of training. There, there are a lot of different platforms and ways to to help educate and help make sure that resources at their fingertips um, don't don't get stuck in a position where, you you know, you feel your your backs against the wall and you, you've got to apply what you think you know how to apply and it's not working. And next thing you know, you've you've made a situation much larger and much more lethal than it needed to be. So, so yeah, get, get help and get resources early. Okay. 
anything else you want to uh, leave our, our listeners with, uh, Dalen? No, um, just the, you know, future upcoming things. We are going to do a, uh, I am going to do another Fire Rescue One follow-up piece on this, which is going to deal with, I'll, I'll just kind of wet your whistles a little bit as listeners, um, the the post-incident challenges. Uh, you know, what do you do when you've had a Tesla event and the floor pan's been ruptured or breached and uh, you've got, you know, 422 battery cells laying all over the interstate or in the grass or how do you handle those cells? What do you do with them? Who do you who do you call? What does the EPA want you to do if you float a bunch of water? Um, what can you expect about contamination values and containment? And uh, all of those unique challenges, that's what we're going to hone in on the next art- article here. Um, and then we'll do a, a more delayed follow-up that we alluded to now. It's going to get much more in-depth on, on fixed energy storage systems. Okay, good stuff. I uh, appreciate your time today. We have been talking with uh, Dalen Zartman about electrical vehicles and the energy systems. Uh, in recap, there is a lot that we talked about today, so I'm not going to do a full recap like I normally do, but I do want to hit a couple particular points that we talked about. And one is that uh, as firefighters look at these types of fires, thinking of them as multi-class firefighting scenarios as opposed to the typical class A, class B, class C, uh, you know, that they would normally be classifying. These are multi-class fires and the firefighting and tactical considerations for that therefore become um, much more complicated than they are used to. Uh, that, you know, and you end up with cascading failures of systems. So you have to think of these things as multi-class firefighting, I'll say, quote unquote, opportunities. Uh, next was the let it burn in a comfortable burning state versus the intentionality of your attack with controlled streams. Something that has to be practiced, ha- has to be learned and practiced, and certainly uh, that uh, Dalen can help out with and, and other training programs Uh, can help out with. Uh, Then we talked about pre-planning, even though we didn't specifically use the word, that's really what we're talking about is pre-planning for these systems and the uh, cherry bubblegum smell. When you smell that, you know you've got a problem. The use of foregas metering and understanding where all of these systems are uh, about treating uh, all of these as energized electrical systems when we're talking about the actual uh, storage facilities. And then an interesting piece about reading smoke, very counterintuitive to the carbon-based smoke reading programs that most people have been through. Reading smoke for these electrical uh, system fires is a completely different paradigm. And we talked a little bit about code development with NFPA 55 and other codes that are out there that are um, evolving very quickly as this industry continues to evolve at a rapid pace, much more rapidly than we're going to cover in one podcast or that we're going to be able to uh, stay on top of by reading an article. We need to stay on top of this constantly. And then finally, he encouraged firefighters uh, to understand the purity of the uh, energy security agency that we mentioned here and the phone number that's in the show notes. Uh, And to use that resource, to understand the availability of that resource and use that resource just as comfortably as you have been for years with the Poison Control Center. Same concept, same thing, something we need to make sure that we're uh, embracing. Folks, that's all we have time for today. Uh, Dalen Zartman, thank you for taking time to join us today. And thanks to our listeners for hanging in there with us. This is Mark Basher, Executive Editor for FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com. Have a great day on purpose. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.